Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to follow along with um, the scripture reading this morning, you can find that on page 889 of your Pew Bibles. We're continuing in John chapter 4, where we left off last week, uh, the story of Jesus with the Samarian, um, women from Samaria at the well. Page 889, John 4, verse 27 to 42. Just then, Jesus' disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see, a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. It's like, I had a rough one. (laughs) Um, My godson passed away on Tuesday morning after a long illness and um, muscular dystrophy and uh, been five years. And and, uh, so it's a relief, but also a concern and a a grief and a whole bunch of other things. So um, just... um, Start with in prayer. This passage this morning came up on my uh, um, U Bible. If you are on U Bible this morning, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, as you see the day approaching. We need each other. Amen. So, Lord, we pray, Father, that the words that I share this morning would be encouragement. The words that we share with each other in fellowship afterwards would be encouraging. Lord, you would give us sensitivity to those around us that we might be an encouragement to someone today. And we thank you for your word that we don't have empty words, but we have your word, your true and living word of God, that we can be encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If I asked you what was the most significant invention of the 20th century, what would you say? You would be right if you, uh, you thought of uh, the personal computer and the internet and, uh, and these things here. Amazing. Amazing how we transcended from radios and uh, our, probably start with tel- telegraph to telephones to radios to television until it's amazing that pretty much it does it all. And the internet, amazing. This network that connects most of the world, um, that, that, that smartphones, that people in far corners of the world can be connected to one another. One of my favorite images is uh, when I did some missions work in Africa um, to see a man in traditional dress, you know, it hasn't changed in uh, hundreds of years. Wearing that traditional dress, standing in front of the mud and stick hut that he lives in with the, with the smoldering of smoke of, of a central fire that he used for cooking. And yet, he had in his hand a cell phone. It's as if technology leapt through. There are no telephone lines. There's no electric power in that little house. But he has a connectivity to the whole world. Amazing. Well, if you lived in, if you lived most of your life in the last century, it sounds old, you might have said the most significant invention of that century was nuclear power or the atom bomb. The power that ended World War II. A power so immense that it can help cure cancer, power a city, or completely destroy it. I remember as a young child with my grandmother walking through the city. I grew up in the, in the, in the, in the woods, we call the woods. But I would spend time with my grandmother and we would walk through the city and there would be this this um, sign on certain buildings, yellow and black sign that said, fall out shelter. Some of you remember that. And that meant that if there was a nuclear attack, 
this was a, be a building, that we would go into the basement of that building and supposedly be safe. Even today, the principles of mutual assured destruction keep the balances of power in the world. Cell phones, atom bombs. But I want to talk about something more powerful than an atomic bomb, more extensive than the internet. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. The message this morning is that you are a link to a chain reaction that is rocking the world. You are not in a network that is covering the whole world so extensive that it covers the whole world and it's called the kingdom of God. One of my favorite passages is in Habakkuk 2.14. May the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's a kingdom passage. God is calling us to be part of that kingdom. He wants us to be hungry for it. He wants our eyes to be open for it. He wants us to do our small part by turning, telling, taking with and transforming with those. Turning, telling, I I came up with these T's and I'm not sure I like them, but turning, telling, inviting and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's pick up our story this morning. We, uh, we left the story last week where Jesus came to this sacred well in Samaria, a, a, a not a, a favorite place for a Jew to go. But Jesus said that um, we must go through. It is necessary for us to go through Samaria. So he came and he sat at the well. His disciples went off to get some food. And he sat there, and as a divine appointment, a woman came in the heat of the day to, um, to fetch water. I think I turned it on now. I don't know. Did I? Yes? Yes, it's green. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I always forget to do that, so then I can walk away from this thing. Um, So Jesus is there, and he has this encounter with this woman, and they have this conversation about living water, and he begins to reveal things about her that he would only know by the power of God in her life. And, And so he has this encounter, and it transforms her life. So much so that she starts running back to the, the, um, to, the, to the city that she had come from. And that's where we leave the story. That's where we left the story last week. And so we pick it up with Jesus still there at the temple. At the temple. Oh my goodness. At the well. Sitting there. And the disciples are coming to him. And they are wondering who this woman is as she runs off into the land. And they didn't ask her a question. He didn't ask him a question. Who is this woman? Why are you? They were surprised. In the, the passage we said, he, they, they marveled that, that Jesus was talking to a woman. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus crosses barriers. If there's a barrier, Jesus crosses it. He, he crosses the gender barrier, barriers, the, the, the ethnic barriers, the, the race barriers, the religious barriers. Whatever barriers there are, Jesus is about crossing barriers. 
and they knew enough not to ask a question because they didn't want to probably think they were look stupid because Jesus always had something up his sleeves. And so they, they came there and they just wondered about this woman, this woman of peace. You see, there was a chain reaction that Jesus was starting. He started with this one woman. Just like an atom bomb, and I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, wow, this is amazing. You know, this thing called radium or uranium and stuff, how one, uh, one molecule hits another molecule, it splits it in half, and each of those splits goes and hits another one, and they each hit one, and pretty soon you have this chain reaction that takes place, and this is what was happening. Jesus had discovered that this is the woman. Of all the people in the world, it could have been the mayor of the town, it could be the, the, the police chief of the town, it was this woman that would start a chain reaction that would impact the whole town of Sychar. This woman, this unwanted woman, this dejected woman was the woman of peace that God was going to call. What is that concept woman of peace or man of peace it comes from that passage where Jesus had sent his disciples out you remember that he sent them out two by two out into into uh, Galilee and he gave them instructions he says now don't just bounce around when you get to a town find a person maybe pray and ask God to show you a person to stay with and you stay with that person that person would be the person who is connected, has a web of connections to everyone else in that town. That strategic person that you should spend time with because when you spend time with them, they, you are investing in the rest of those web of relationships that they have. That's what we call a man of peace. And this woman was that man or woman of peace, this person of peace. Let me ask you a question. Do you know somebody like that? You know, maybe it was, we talked this morning about my encounter with the postmaster of Marblehead. Maybe that is the man of peace. Are you perhaps that person that God is ready to activate into your web of relationships? You might not have remember a man whose name was Mordecai Ham. Anybody heard of Mordecai Ham? What a weird name. But you might know a name like Billy Graham. Mordecai Ham was a Kentucky-born preacher, fiery preacher that would never really amount to much, just kind of work his way in that little part of East Kentucky. But one day there was a young man who came to his services, and he invited him to follow Jesus to start a relationship with Jesus. And that young man was Billy Graham, and probably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. But it started with one man reaching one man, one woman reaching one woman, and as a result of that, beginning a chain reaction. But then the disciples began to speak. 
They said, Jesus, eat something. We, we need something to eat. You, we got some food here from Panera. You know, get some, have some bread and some soup and, and, and a sandwich, maybe half and half, you know. You have, anyway, you know, and, and they began to, uh, you know, get excited about food. You could probably imagine that their mouths are already full when they're like, Jesus, eat something here, you know. And Jesus says, no, I got this. I have food you don't even know. Did anybody get food for Jesus? Who, who did that? Who did that? He says, my food is to the will of God and to fulfill that commission that, I, that, uh, that God has called me to do. That's my food. That's what I'm hungry about doing. That's the thing that, so he went from talking about drinking water with the woman and and, be, and thirsting for the things of God to talking about food. It's the same idea. Same ideas coming out of this is that there is this hunger that God wants us to have for the things of God. It is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Thirsty, hungry. I don't know if you've ever fasted before. I'm not a great fasting person. You know, I, I was... Uh, among a, a bunch of Christian uh, superstars, I don't know, one day. And, and uh, it, it's almost this weird thing because some of them would say, yeah, I had a 40-day fast. I'm like, <laughs> it's like a marathon? It's like running the Boston Marathon. Forget it, man. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. But I love the definition of, of fasting. And maybe God's calling me <laughs> to do that. And as Lent starts, right, this preparation for that, uh, I'll, I'll pray about it, okay? You pray about it too. But I love that definition of fasting. Fasting is, is demonstrating that something is more important, that God is more important than food in your life. Man, food is important for me. I love to cook because I love to eat. And so I get motivated to cook because I love to eat. And we live in this culture today. What do we do with our phones, right? They call it foodogramming or something like that. We take our food, we go to a restaurant, and we order food, and it comes, and what do we do? Put it on Instagram. Awesome. Look at that food. You can almost taste it. That's our culture. You know, I, I spent some time in the Chinese culture, and food is important. Well, it's almost that important in our culture, at least in our social world. We're fixated on food. Imagine one day going and, and seeing someone on Facebook, and there's an empty plate and a glass of water. Of course, Jesus warned us, don't, don't, talk about fasting and look like you're not fasting. So that, I wouldn't recommend that. You know, it kind of goes against the scriptures. But it gives you an idea. You know, I'm serious that I'm hungry for something besides food. Where are you today? How hungry are you for the things of God? For doing the task that God has sent you into the world? 
And then Jesus turned from that metaphor to the metaphor of harvest. And he began to tell them, he says, you know, you say that in four months there, there's, there's going to be a harvest. I tell you right now, there is a harvest. Open your eyes. Look, for the, for the fields are white with harvest for the kingdom of God. He says, open your eyes, see the people around you, not as obstacles, right? How many times do you go someplace and you go, you know, you're driving your car and go, really? Really, you're going to go that slow? I shouldn't tell that story after the last one, right, about speeding. Never mind. Um, but you've been there. You see people often in our life when we shouldn't. We see them as annoyances, as, a, as distractions, as as obstacles in our life rather than seeing them with the eyes that Jesus would give us. I love that passage in the, when Jesus was feeding the 4,000. He, uh, he was there and uh, you know the, the disciples were nervous. What, what are they going to do? And Jesus looked upon the people and he says, I, I, he, he was moved with compassion for he saw them as, as sheep without a shepherd. The disciples were seeing, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with these people? How are we going to order Panera for them? But Jesus saw there was a need, there was a deeper need in their lives and, and they were desperate as, as we have been desperate in our lives and, and so we, we need to ask God to give us the eyes to see people and value them the way he values them to, to uh, see their needs as the same needs that we have in our, our life and to realize that God loves them, that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for them as well. That we would open our eyes to that. And then he says that, we, that there is a harvest. That some are harvesting and so some are reaping. We are to be part of that, to do our little part. You might say, well, I've, you know, I've never led anyone to faith in, in, in Jesus. I've never had that opportunity uh, to actually pray with someone and for them to say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to forgive my sins. I believe you died on the cross and, and go through that whole process with someone. But I, I guarantee you've had opportunities to sow seeds. And God is calling us to open our eyes and to see those places where he wants us to sow a seed. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's a, a reaction that they didn't expect when you should have been annoyed by something that happened and yet you came with kindness. Maybe there's an opportunity and you sense that someone is hurting and you put a hand on the shoulder asking for permission today or asking to pray for them out loud and say, do you mind if I pray for you right now out loud? Just a, a short, short prayer, not a long thing, that, you know, not like the church prayer, just a short prayer. I had that opportunity with my, my, my aunt um, on uh, this week, this yesterday, um, having lost their 45-year-old son, their only son that they adopted and to see him go through such pain. And all it took was just asking the question, do you mind if I, if it's okay for me to pray for you right now? 
We can do that. We can plant those seeds of love and care and compassion for those around us, seeing some, but some need and, and filling that need and maybe asking a question that God has given us to ask them to sow those seeds. It may be just starting a conversation, having a question that we could ask to those around us. You know, what kind of a day are you having, right? Start with those kinds of questions and, and go on from there and God will give you those. Those are called planting seeds and we can all do that. You know, a lot of people used to, you know, say how many con con converts, how many conversions have you had? And now there's a, a healthier world out there in the church talking about conversations. Have you had any spiritual conversations or conversations that tended towards spiritual things in your life? And, and God encourages you to, to do those, to plant those seeds. So where do we start? Where do we start in being part of that? In that and being the eyes that see the world a different way of hungering for the things of the kingdom of God. First of all, it starts by turning. Do you remember the, when the disciples got there? They noticed that Jesus had, had been with a woman, but she had left something there. What did she leave? That water jar. That water jar. You know, I, I, if you've seen the, the Chosen, you know, one of the disciples goes, Hey, hey, you, 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 uh, yeah, this, here, this, this. You, you forgot your water jar. Guess you don't need it anymore. I think John put that in the story to tell us that there was a response, a significant change in her life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is, a, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We don't know what that means, you know, you know. You, you could be like, okay, what are you, what are you asking me to do? I, I remember um, one of the, back in the Jesus days, yeah, I'm old, okay. Um, and when we were ministering on the streets and there was, this, there was this young man that we encountered and we shared Jesus with him and, and he prayed with us and accepted Christ. And, and then he was like, yeah, but, um, I, you know, I, I live with my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, all right, well, all right, you know. And we didn't tell him what to do how to leave his pot behind. That's, I didn't mean that pot. <laughs> sorry. Jar, sorry, jar. And so he went back. And we didn't tell him, you know, now you're a new life and you have a new life and listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. And one day he came to us and he says, well, I told her to move out. We didn't tell you to do that. But that was the choice that God had worked in his life. He says, okay, if I'm going to make this real, this is what I need to do. I need to move out or she needs to move out. This cannot work. But there's, there's you see, that's the Holy Spirit is working. Of, you know, when we tell them what they have to do in order to follow Jesus, we're becoming the Holy Spirit and not allowing God, the Holy Spirit, do his work in, in their lives. For Peter and Andrew, it was leaving the nets on the, on the rocks, on the Sea of Galilee. For James and John, it was leaving their father with the hired hands in the boat. 
and following Jesus. For Matthew, it was, it was leaving the tax collecting business. For Zacchaeus, it was coming out of the tree and giving half of everything he had away to the poor. For the rich young ruler, Jesus gave a requirement, but it was, it was a Holy Spirit requirement. Give, give everything you have to the poor. What? And I have a friend, he struggles with that. He says, are we all supposed to do that? I don't know. Did the Holy Spirit tell you to do that? We all need to begin somewhere. And, and for me, uh, it, it, was, it was a prayer. It was a prayer to just simply realize. There was no big dramatic change that happened in my life. It was simply turning and saying, God, if you're there, I want you in my life. It could be the simplest thing, but God's calling you today. Maybe that's the invitation for you this morning to turn, and you don't know what that means. Leave your water jar behind. Ask God, how do I do that? What can I do that, that, would, would, that would be a response, the proper response that you want for me to have? There was a man that my father became a good friend of mine. He was a Muslim background person. He was, an, he was a very brilliant guy, a very wealthy uh, man who had everything. He had this beautiful Christian wife. He had this uh, amazing house. He had money in the bank for all of his kids to go through college, through their master's degree probably. And he had this wonderful eye surgery business and, and, and all of this thing, and yet he was depressed. So he went to a counselor, and it was uh, interesting. He went to a Christian woman counselor, and she said to him, you need to join an alpha group, an alpha Bible study. And so he invited him to this alpha Bible study, and my dad and him became best friends, two big guys. My dad's, you know, a carpenter, and this guy is a medical doctor, and they began to challenge each other, and his name was Ramses, and Ramses every day, every week, would come up with the most difficult questions about the gospel, about the Bible. What about this? He was tough, my dad said. He was just, you know, brutal every time they met, and then one day Ramses came. He says, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to get baptized next week. Who's going to baptize me? Whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't get to pray with you, you know, the sinner's prayer. We didn't get to disciple you for three years, you know. He was ready. In fact, you know, his wife's church said, whoa, 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 I'm not sure we can schedule that. And so my dad's church said, we'll do it. And that day, Ramses got baptized. And then he turned to my dad and said, how come you haven't done that? <laughs> and my dad was baptized the next Sunday. Um, amazing. It may be that, like the, like the Ethiopian eunuch says, there's water, why can't I get baptized? But it could be a simple thing that God is just saying, put this away, turn, and follow me. Turning and then telling. The woman had a message. She says, he told me everything I ever did. She had a message, and it was probably bigger than that, but John kind of encapsulates her testimony, her story, her God story, by just saying, he told me everything I ever did. In fact, he not only told me, he said, he accepted me. I was no longer rejected. 
I was transformed by the fact that the, that the God of the living, uh, the, the God of the, of the universe, the living God, the Messiah says, I accept you. You are no longer rejected. You are mine. You are significant. You have purpose. You have hope. In this room, there are so many stories. We had a wonderful opportunity um, at the, in, in our class um, in the December uh, for a couple people to share their story. And every one of you have, has a story. And maybe that's what the Lord wants you to do is ask somebody today. Tell me. It doesn't have to be like, oh, it's a, it's a book, you know. Uh, because you, you should be able to tell the story, you know, a theme of, of what it is. And so I'll, I'll give you mine really quickly. Um, I was searching for truth. I was a 14-year-old, very intelligent kid, reading everything. But when I ever turned on the TV, it always said, you know, nine out of ten doctors say, this is the right, you know, medicine. What, what I heard from the world is that science had the truth. And so if I was going to search for truth, I needed to be in science. And so I began to, but then I had this question because I was also going to church. And church would talk about miracles that happened. Miracles that happened 2,000 years ago, maybe that are happening today. How do you reconcile science and, and miracles? And so I discovered there was an author who began to write about aliens. Okay, you can laugh. Um, you know, that would come down and would interact with humans. And ah, there it is. It was the aliens that did the miracles in the Bible. And here I was, 14-year-old. My youth pastor probably, he, thankfully, he didn't laugh at me. But he prayed for me. Because that's where I was. I was seeking truth. And God began to show me in his word that he was true. That Jesus died on the cross, that the resurrection was something that there were witnesses for, that there was truth in the Bible, and that science was simply the study of, of how God created the world, how he had, he had designed all the things around us, and that he has invited us to study them, and to learn from them, and maybe even apply the things of his creation to our life. Wow. I found truth no longer in science, but science pointing to the Bible. Maybe your search was for purpose. Search for a home. Search for identity, freedom, love, truth, friendship. I love this quote. Testimonies are a powerful tool to illustrate the power of God at work in our lives and allows others to picture themselves experiencing God. So he tells us to turn. He tells us to tell our story. He tells us to invite. Because in that woman, when she told her story, she started with this. She said, come and see. Come and see a man. Come and see. And, and uh, Jesus at the very beginning, uh, Andrew and Philip, he says, come and see this invitation to, for this man. Could this be the Messiah? Even her question was an invitation. There was a guy who did a research and he, he discovered that 82% of unchurched people are likely to attend church if they were invited by a trusted friend or a relative. 
and yet only 2% of Christians invite anyone to church. Ouch. Okay, there's another research one, and maybe they spend more time in New England, and they says 50%. If you invite, okay, maybe 80% is pretty big for New England, right? Maybe 50%, but think about it. Batting a 500? Come on, right? That's just, if you ask two people, that means somebody's coming with you to church next Sunday. I had an opportunity to work in a Chinese church, and, and it was a church that was very difficult to advertise because if you're not Chinese, you're not going to even think about attending our English-speaking Chinese church. So I invited people. This is the way we're going to grow our church. Go invite somebody for Easter Sunday. And I remember when uh, the only person that showed up as a result of invitation were my white, like me, family relatives, aunts and uncles, cousins and grand and cousins and second cousins. And they all gathered together in this Chinese church. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. But maybe God is in encouraging you to invite, but also to grow. Grow in grace. Because Jesus didn't stop and drop the, 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 you know, this message on this woman and then walked away. It says that the people began. He says that the harvest were the people of that town. They began to come out of the city and they saw Jesus. And maybe when he says, behold the harvest, open the eyes, he was talking about the people coming from the city. And they began to come and they invited Jesus to spend two days in Samaria. Two days. And Jesus spent that time sharing and being with them. And so maybe our encouragement today is to be with Jesus. Maybe we need to spend time with him. Help him to teach us and to train us and to love on us and to turn our hearts to them. So our message this morning is simply for us to be a part of that wonderful message that God is calling us to, the kingdom of God, to take Jesus at his word, to hunger for his kingdom, to open our eyes, to do our part by turning and telling and inviting others and growing in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are a king of the world, the greater than atomic bombs or internets or anything else, you have invited us to be part of your kingdom. And we know that you are spreading the knowledge of the glory of the Lord over the earth as waters cover the sea. Lord, use me. Use us. Use this little church in Marblehead to reach Marblehead to, mar to reach Marbleheaders for you. You have planted us here. Help us do our part to start a chain reaction. Help us turn to you and invite and love on people and serve them and grow in you so that we might share our life with them. We thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name.